Okay, one more time. We're going to do this sex thing, and, and we're done, okay, because it's been weirder for me than it has been for you. I'm just going to tell you, all right? Next week, we start a new series about Moses, a life transformed. I know maybe you've seen Charlton Heston, but the story of Moses is going to, we're going to lay it out in three weeks. Uh, first 40 years, Moses was the prince of Egypt. The next 40 years, he was uh, in exile, running away from God and everybody else. And in the last 40 years, from 80 to years 120 is when Moses was the most humble leader in the greatest leader on the face of the earth, and we're going to learn from him, a life transformed. And then in the middle of that, Father's Day weekend, we have Mike Singletary coming, ladies and gentlemen, very excited, in person, great Christian guy, uh, phenomenal father, and he's going to come, and I'm going to interview him all five services, just like we would during the year. We'll have two on Saturday night, the two on Sunday morning, <clears throat> excuse me, and Sunday night he will be live and I will be interviewing him live at all five of them. So invite your friends, get them out here. That's why we're doing this. We want this to be a huge, big day uh, to get, uh, you know, especially, I mean, you know, obviously there are, there are guys in your life that, that would go, oh, Singletary, oh, man, I'm, I'm there. I, I want to be there. I mean, I just invited a neighbor yesterday, and they've never been here. And, like, and then they're like, Singletary, oh, yeah, that, you know, I could do that. That's what this is all about, okay? So, uh, so think about that. Uh, we're really excited about that. Um, th- this, this series, okay, again, it's not, it's not a flippant thing that we've done by any stretch of the imagination. We think that it's that important. And I've heard, you know, some people saying, why are we doing this? And some people are avoiding it because it's awkward for them. And and that's all fine, okay? What I'm also hearing is thank you for being a church and being a preacher that's going to stand up and talk about where we live, the real stuff that's going on. And thank you for my kids being able to hear this and know the the, the biblical view of sexuality and that it is good, but that it's supposed to be within the limits of, of what God wanted it to be. Here's what it says in the Bible. And I, I got a lot of Bible stuff in here. You got, the Bible has a lot to say about this. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your life. Now, that's what the problem is, what you read, the statistics that you read are that most marriages are really dull, they're really humdrum, mo- nobody's happy. And, and you look at sexuality as this thing that on, only can be good and, and exciting if it's outside, if it's, you know, if it's something that is not how God wanted it to be instead of how God did want it to be. But it takes work. Somebody sent me the email trail that they had uh, between their hus- the husband and the wife. The wife sent the husband an email, said, hey, Johnny has an orthodontist appointment at 3.30 today. Could you take him and pick up milk and bread and sandwich bags? Name withheld, obviously, okay. Um, husband sent back, thanks for setting up my schedule today. Here's the rest of it. 3.30, take Johnny to the orthodontist. 4.30, eat dinner. 5 o'clock, exercise. 6.30, practice. 9 o'clock, have sex. The above needs your approval. (laughs) Wife sent back, subject to approval if relational needs are met. He wrote back, when did relational needs come into the picture? Is this Tim Harlow's fault? (laughs) Yes, it is. we have to work on it because the problem is what happens in marriage is that it gets dull, it gets boring because we don't work on it anymore. Because what happened was when it started out the way God created sex, we're all in the Garden of Eden and everything is perfect. And the Bible says they were naked and unashamed. Do you ever wonder what it was like to be Adam and Eve in the garden, naked and unashamed? I mean, I know the guys do. Do you ever think about what it was like back in that day to think about what it was like not to have any inhibitions, not to have any problems? Do you think she's prettier than me? Who? (laughs) 
Baby, that orangutan's got nothing on you. I'm telling you right now, right? Did he bring her flowers? If so, what did she do with them? She wouldn't have known in her flowers everywhere, right? I mean, just think about it. No inhibitions whatsoever. Now, was it good for you? Compared to what? I mean, it doesn't matter, right? The, the, this is how it started out. Everything was perfect, but paradise was lost. And we were kicked out of the garden because we brought sin into the world. And from that point on, God said, you're going to have to work. He said, from now on, you're going to have to work for what you eat. And, I, and you're going to have to work for everything else. And so that means in the bedroom, in, in our marriage, we're still going to have to work. And now they have to work for their food, so they're tired when they come home. Now they have, you know, arguments because there's sin in the world. And now they have kids. The kids come along. And Adam and Eve's kids weren't exactly well behaved. One of them killed the other one, right? You get this. Okay? And there are problems along the way. And there's headaches and PMS. And all these things happen after we get kicked out of the garden. And so they were not naked as much anymore, if you know what I mean. So what's getting in the way? That's what I want to talk about today. A little bit to the ladies, a lot to the guys, because I'm not secure enough to even it out, okay? <clears throat> what's getting in the way for us is a lot of things. It's energy. I mean, we're just, you know, we're just tired uh, collectively as people. We're way too busy. We're tired. Time in general. I mean, there's just so much to fill up the day. You ever think about what it was like back in the old days when there was no electricity? You know, you went to bed at 8 o'clock. You were in bed a lot. I mean, the kids were in the other room, you know, right next to you maybe, but, but, but you had more time on your hands. And the problem is still that time thing. And I'm talking to you. I just want to say this. I don't think my wife is listening. Let me just say this, okay? For those of you who are in the kids stage, and I'll take an amen from the rest of you on this, the empty nest rocks. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Um, <clears throat> Oh yeah, they're not around anymore. No, it's great. It's, it's you know, I, I, I heard about a, a campus security officer that went up to the window of a, of a car that people were making out on the first night of, of college campus, you know, the college opening up. And he tapped on the window and he was surprised when he rolled down the window and, and there was a middle-aged couple in there making out. And he's like, oh, uh, sorry, I thought you were some students. And they go, oh, excuse us, officer. We just dropped our son off at college, and this is the first time we've been alone for 27 years. <laughs> it rocks, I'm telling you, okay? Uh, but, but the real reason, I think, that we have this problem that we have with not being naked and unashamed enough is that it's going to take work to make that happen. It takes a lot of effort, and we just get lazy. So get this. Good intimacy, good sexuality inside of your marriage is still going to take work. Please give up on that TV, movie, music, video nonsense that shows two people being attracted to each other and hooking up and everything, you know, being the stars uh, up, up, in the, up in the heavens. Give up on that idea. Yeah, yeah that might be fun for a, for a minute, but that's what animals do, okay? That, that's not intimacy. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think there's an animal in the kingdom that wouldn't trade in, in a heartbeat what they have for the physical, spiritual, emotional intimacy that we can have when we share our hearts and our souls and our bodies together at the same time. And I truly believe you find that out in the world. I mean, the world backs us up on this. George Clooney backs me up on it. He's getting married, okay? Why would he be doing that? Because we're all, it doesn't matter if you can have sex with all the people that you want to, deep down inside, we all know that we want this. But it's going to take work, you guys. 
Like anything else in life, it's going to take work. So we're going to get to work today. I'm going to, I'm going to give you some, you know, best advice I come up with from some things here. And we'll also have a lot of fun. Somebody sent me this one. I thought it was great. I have sex daily. I mean, dyslexia. <laughs> Yeah, the letters are the same. I know you're looking at it right now. Um, here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. This is a paraphrase of it, but this is, this is what Paul says. Again, in the Bible, talks about the marriage bed. He says, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other one, whether in bed or not. And that might be all I need to really say. I mean, this is a biblical principle. It's serving. If you're in a marriage, it's about serving the other person, even in, in the bedroom. Do you understand this? And that's a biblical principle. Just like don't take the Lord's name in vain. Just like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. This is in the Bible. Paul is saying, work on your sex life. So again, let me talk to each one of the, the genders separately for a second, and I'll start with the ladies hesitantly with this story. A, a store that sells husbands just opened in New York City. A woman can go there and find a husband. Among the instructions at the entrance is a description of how the store operates. You may visit this store only once in your lifetime. There are six floors, and the value of the products increases as the shopper ascends to the next floor, okay? However, once you get to a floor, you cannot go back down except to exit the building. So a woman goes to the store to find a husband. First floor, the sign reads, these men have jobs. She thinks, well, okay, but I can do better. She goes to the second floor. The second floor sign says, these men have jobs and love kids. Third floor sign reads, these men have jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking. She's thinking, well, that's pretty good, but I'm going to keep going because I want to see what else I can get. So she goes to the fourth floor. The sign reads, these men have jobs. They love kids. They're drop-dead good-looking, and they help with the housework. Oh, my, she says. I can hardly stand it, but I'm still going. She goes to the fifth floor and reads a sign that says, these men have jobs, love kids, are gorgeous, help with the housework, and have a strong romantic streak. She is so tempted to stay. How could it get any better? But she goes to the sixth floor anyway and reads a sign that says, you are visitor number 31,456,012 to this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor exists solely as proof that women are impossible to please. <laughs> Thank you for shopping at the husband's store. Uh, to avoid, ginger, to avoid ginger, gender bias charges, the store's owner uh, 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 operates a new wives store just across the street. It too has six floors. The first floor has wives that love sex, and no man has ever been upstairs. Okay. <laughs> Ladies, let me say something to you. What? What Shanti said last weekend, um, and if you didn't get to hear last weekend, you, you need to go back online and watch this. Shanti Feldhan and her husband did research and, and, and did all this study on men and women and sexuality and found some fascinating things. What she said last weekend, ladies, is true. Men are very insecure. 
very insecure, and when it comes to this sexuality thing, it, it, it is even more important to us. It's not just a physical thing. There's an emotional thing that's going on for us. Shanti told me last time she was here, she told me the greatest disappointment she has is when a guy will walk out after she has spoken, and he will walk out and say, you know, I read this book, and I gave, your, I gave the book to my wife, but she just doesn't believe you. Listen, believe us. Men really do want for you to be happy with us in the bedroom. A men's health survey, again, not a Christian magazine, men's health magazine, reported that 99% of the guys that they, that they surveyed said that their spouses, that their, that their partner's satisfaction was extremely important to them. 73% of them said that their partner's enjoyment of sexuality was more important than their own. And that may really surprise you because you think, well, they're just in it for themselves, but that's not true. James Sheridan writes it this way. He said, when your husband invites you to have sex, he is inviting you into his world. For most men, it's very important that you have a good time when you visit where he lives much of his life. And that is why afterward he may say, I hope it was as good for you as it was good for me. It's his way of saying, I hope you had a good time visiting where I live all the time. Talking to a group, she said, he said, I picked out this woman. I said, suppose your husband comes home one evening with a dozen perfect long-stemmed red roses, and he comes to you with a soft voice and says, honey, I love you more than you can know. The first three shops I went to didn't have flowers as good as you. So I drove across town to a new shop I heard about, and I finally found these. I want you to have them. I love you so much. And he hands them to you, and he gives you a big hug. As I was describing the event, she got this faraway look in her eyes and her face flushed lightly, Sheridan writes. I asked her how she would react. Still, she had this dreamy look in her eyes and said in a soft voice, he'd get lucky right then and there. She instantly realized what she'd said, straightened up in her chair and quickly added, oh, I didn't mean that. However, her husband and everybody else in the group knew that she did. I asked the same woman her thoughts about the second setting. Okay, let's suppose your husband comes home with the same flowers from the same shop, but when he arrives home, he simply says, here are your darn flowers, and throws them on the kitchen counter and stomps off. The woman looked in disbelief. I'd throw them out or I'd throw them at him. Well, why? They're the same flowers from the same shop. Her answer was direct. The flowers were the same, but the attitude was a slap in the face. He doesn't love me. It's duty, not love. Then I turned to her husband, who had been listening with interest. Let me give you a hypothetical situation, I said. Suppose you come home from work, and, I, and taped to the back door was a note in your wife's handwriting that says, Darling, the kids are spending the night with my folks. Come in and see if you can find me. You go into the house, and there's a trail of clothes leading to the bedroom. I asked the husband, what would be your response? And all he could do was stammer. I then asked the husband, let me change the situation slightly. Suppose you're engaged in the act, and your wife says, honey, could you move your shoulder a little bit? I'd really like to finish reading this magazine article. <laughs> he responded, well, that'd be the end of it for the night. I don't think I'd talk to her for a week. I said, why? It's the same sex, isn't it? He glanced at his wife and paraphrased her words. It's like she said, the attitude would be a slap in the face. She doesn't love me. It's duty, not love. 
I mean, that, that, that's the difference for guys. And, and I want you to understand that. That's why it's so deep for us. That's why it's so important for us that you understand that it's not just about a physical thing that you should take care of every once in a while. There's an emotional connection. There's something deeper that's going on inside of it. That's why the Apostle Paul said the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. And then he goes on and says abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it. But only if its purposes are prayer and fasting, and only for such times, then come back together again, because Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. Yeah, there may be times when sexuality is not going to happen. There's pregnancy, there's grief, there's, there are reasons why things might not happen, but it should only be for a period of time, and then you come back together again and let the marriage bed be a place of mutuality again, because Satan is out there. And I, I don't want you to mishear me. If you've got, had a partner that's been unfaithful to you, don't, don't think that I think there. Paul thinks that it's your fault, but there's a lot of temptation out there. That's why we work on this. That's why we want this to be strong. I would love, if I did five weeks on this and saved one marriage from having to go through that heartache, it would be absolutely worth it. So that's enough. I'm treading on deep water. Um, I'm going to talk to the guys and... We'll use Raymond as our brilliant reason. You know, it's not always me. What about last week when I was in the mood and you weren't? When was that? Wednesday. You were watching TV. I asked you to give me a back rub. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You gave me one of these one-handed deals. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You, you asked for a back rub, and that means Mr. Smith goes to Washington? <laughs> Say something. Well, what am I supposed to say? Hey, come on. You want some? Let's do it. I would love it if you talk like that. You know, after all these years, you still have no idea, do you? Look, I, I know you have to be in the mood, but, but can't you just this once... Think like a man. I am. I'm completely disregarding your feelings. Yes, yes, okay. Listen, Jeff, Shanti's husband, did the same book uh, about men. And I'm gonna, a lot of stuff I'm going to say comes from that book. Uh, the, the interesting thing that he found was that, that if, guys, if you thought Shanti was dead on last week, he is, he is dead on. The ladies are going to think he's dead on. What's getting in the way? All right. I, I got more to say to guys because I feel a little bit you know, more comfortable doing that. But here's what the Bible says. Okay? And, and remember, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I, I believe it was Gary Chapman said, the only way that the marriage is going to really work and, be, and thrive and be strong is if the husband moves in the direction of the wife. Usually the wife has the relational thing kind of figured out a little bit better than we do. So if we really want to make this happen, I'm going to talk to my brothers, okay? Here's what the Bible says. Be good husbands to your wives, honor them, delight in them, all right? This is our responsibility. So what are some things that she needs? She needs romance, okay? You know this. I know it's not where you live. I know you don't need romance. It's where she lives, Okay, that's really important to you understand. This is not going to work. I'm just telling you right now, okay? <laughs> Notice two things about that sign. It's a 708 number. That's the one by Midway Airport. Somebody actually sent me this. And notice the hole in the sign 
that was a projectile thrown from someone, I'm assuming a female who was the recipient of the Valentine reservation. I don't know, but that's a really, really dumb idea, okay? And the surprising thing that Jeff found in his research is, and it's not, it shouldn't be surprising, but, but it's the same thing as, as Shanti found in hers. Yes, men are insecure. Guess what? Women are insecure. Romance is one of the ways that we can help them feel secure. Guys, I don't care if your wife is a supermodel. She is still in her heart. I've got three daughters, been married for 30 years. Trust me on this. Every, every, my wife and my daughters are beautiful, but in the inside of every woman's life is a little girl who is longing to be told that she's okay, longing to be told that she's beautiful. They need to be told that they're desirable. Jeff says, yeah, you can clap for that because that's exactly who they are, okay? I know this. Jeff says, you are the only mirror in your house that matters. The only one that matters. Every day I can reflect back to her the words that that she needs to hear, but if I don't, I leave her vulnerable to her own inner questions and the external pressure that comes from an intimidating world out there. Someone sent this into Shanti's website She said, a woman needs to feel sexy to her man, but many men do not spend the time or effort in affirming their spouse sexually outside of the bedroom. That means when we're in the bedroom, it's difficult for the woman to figure out whether he really wants her or is he just trying to meet his own need. You get this, right? So you need to be romantic. I had Solomon here a few weeks ago. If you missed it, he was surprisingly uh, white and played the saxophone. Um, but, but I want to read to you from Solomon uh, his words in this R-rated book in the Bible. And remember, I mean, God didn't need to leave this in the Bible if there wasn't a reason for it. But listen to the romance dripping from the tongue of this husband for his wife. You're so beautiful. This is Song of Solomon 4. You are so beautiful, my darling. So beautiful, and your dove eyes are veiled by your hair as it flows and shimmers. Your smile is generous and full, expressive, strong, and clean. You know, they didn't have dentists or toothbrushes back then, so this is a big deal. (laughs) Your lips are jewel red. Your mouth elegant and inviting. Your veiled cheeks soft and radiant. The smooth lines of your neck command notice. All heads turn in awe and admiration. Your breasts are like fawns, twins of a gazelle grazing among the first spring flowers. I have no idea what that could possibly mean. (laughs) I'm just going to keep rolling right on through that. The the sweet, I don't know if that would mean anything to you ladies or not. The sweet, fragrant curves of your body, the soft, spice contours of your flesh invite me and I stay until dawn breathes its light and night slips away. You are so beautiful from head to toe, my dear love. Beyond compare, you are beautiful, absolutely flawless. I mean, he just goes up and down her body praising her. This is in the Bible. And then at the end he says, you've captured my heart, dear friend. You looked at me and I fell in love. One look my way and I was hopelessly in love. And all the women said, ah, right? Yeah. I mean, and all the guys are like, what? I don't, you know. Listen, it doesn't matter, okay? This is, the, you, need to, you need to tell her that she's beautiful. You figure out how to do it. You figure out the analogies. Go look some stuff up on the internet if you need some help. But she needs some romance. She needs to know that, that you love her. There was a, a Disney movie 
really stupid Disney movie, if you think about it, called Parent Trap, where these two twins are split up, and one of them goes to live with the dad in one country, and the one goes to live in the, in the mom with another country, which would be like completely illegal and ridiculous. But, but then they, the twins find each other, as many of you remember it, and then there's this place where the husband and the wife, the ex-husband and wife, come back together, and they talk about when they got together and how the twins were born and all that stuff. And she had left him, and, and there's a classic line in there where she says, you never came after me. And he said, I didn't know I was supposed to. Okay. You are supposed to, guys. Okay. You're supposed to come after her. You gotta turn in her direction. All right, another thing is just security in general is what she needs, romance and security. Just security, she needs to be secure in you. And I just gotta say right up front, that if the stats are true, there are a bunch of, bunch of the women in our audience, listen to me on the internet, wherever you are, who have been in abusive situations. And that means a whole nother level of security that she needs from you. And it probably means a whole nother level of counseling to work together because so many women in our culture, is, it's ridiculous and we want to fight against it and we're opening a safe house and all those kinds of things. But, but at the bottom line, if your wife has been in an abusive situation, a previous marriage or in her family or whatever along the way, you really need to provide a lot of security for her. And even if she doesn't, she needs security. And how do you give security? That's interesting. Because, you know, we think, well, you know, I, I, I go to ADT or something, you know, I, I can figure out how to get, no, no, she needs you, dude. She needs you. That you, you being with her is security. One of the things the Feldhands found in their research was that women overwhelmingly said, I would rather have my man than his money. Okay, don't assume that going off to work more hours or get a better job or do something else and bring home more bacon is what she wants. She needs you. She needs time with you. She needs to feel secure in you because, again, we're all insecure. And while I'm on the insecurity thing, really, this is difficult for you to grasp, I know. But when she has to say no, we've got to be secure enough that she's not saying no because she doesn't like us or she's not attracted to us or one of those things. One of the other things that Jeff found, he said, he said uh, our surveys found the startling, hard to believe, and oddly encouraging truth for men. That while you want to be genuinely desired by your wife, her lower level of desire for sex has nothing to do with your desirability. I mean, I used to think, and I'm speaking in general terms, okay? Generally, men for most of their lives, have a stronger sex drive than women do. Again, generally speaking, physiologically speaking, maybe it's not that way in your house. You know, God bless you, but this is different, okay? Uh, and I used to think, well, I'm, gonna, I'm confused about this. When I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, why didn't you make the sex drives to be the same, you know? How, how come it's not the same? And then, you know, along the way, I realized it's because men are slobs, and, and, and if, if we, I'm sorry guys, but if, if, if your wife was all over you all the time, try to imagine that for just like a brief second. If your wife was all over you all the time, there would be no motivation for you to provide the needs that she has deep inside of her. That's why this is a partnership. That's why this is a dance. You need to give her romance and you need to give her security and you need to give her those things so that she wants to be with you. That's how the whole thing is supposed to work. Jeff wrote, um, my, a letter came into him. My wife explained to me that she simply has little physical drive to pursue sex. And when we're having sex, she loves it. The problem is that otherwise, sex just never occurs to her, whereas there's never a time when it doesn't occur to me. 
So thankfully, after reading For Women Only, my wife understood how important sex really is and has begun to initiate sex, and she does it because she wants to love me, and it works. One woman said, for guys, it seems sex provides a relief or an escape from exhaustion, but for women, we have to pull ourselves out of exhaustion in order to want to have sex. Just understand that and know that this is the way that, you know, it's going to be a little bit different for them. It's interesting in Song of Solomon, it's crazy. I know you're going to go back and read this. It's right by the Psalms, okay? Go back and read it. In Song of Solomon, the, the husband comes home one night from a trip or something, and, and, and the wife has locked the bedroom door. And he knocks on the bedroom door and wakes her up, you know, and he's trying to be all romantic. And I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. She says, no, nah, I'm not getting up. I don't want to get my feet dirty. I mean, talk about a slap in the face. Remember they had dirt floors, right? They didn't have any carpet. She literally says, uh, um, no, I don't want to get my feet dirty. So instead, process this, guys. Instead of being all, you know, hey, it's my bed too, and kicking the door in, or I can't believe you don't love me, or being all mad or irritated, he just says, okay. And he goes and finds another room to sleep in, and he leaves her a little gift at the door like the exact opposite of how I would react. <laughs> I hate the Bible sometimes. <laughs> and finally, she, she, you know, she realizes, you oh, know, this is really dumb. You know, I can always wash my feet again, and I love my husband, and I'm going to go open the door. And she goes and opens the door and, and finds this gift. And so all of a sudden, you know, what was could have been a bad argument, could have been a bad situation. She goes and hunts him down, and they have this wonderful, intimate, you know, evening together because he reacted differently, okay? I'm just saying she needs some security. She needs you to take your time, and I don't mean, you know, like just when it's that time. I mean she needs to have more time to get her motor running than you do. All right, really important that you understand that. One woman wrote into Jeff, she said, it's like I'm a mother of four kids, and at the end of the day, I've got the cruise ship headed for the port, and that port is sleep. It's getting away from the kids and all the stress, right? And about that time, she said, as soon as I, I head that head, you know, I'm heading that ship into port, my husband rolls over and says, hey, what you doing over there? And expects me to turn the ship around. She said, it's difficult for me to take the cruise ship that has been all day looking forward to this port and turn it around to the other direction. That's what it means for them. So they're going to need some time for this to warm up. They're also going to need some affection. You've heard other people talk about this before, and I'm talking about affection that's not going to be sexual, all right? Every once in a while, she needs a back rub for a back rub, right? Every once in a while, she needs you to hug her just to hug her. You don't get this, but women need this. They need the romance. They need the love. I heard this song at the dentist office the other day. Um, see if you remember it. If a picture paints a thousand words, then why can't I paint you? Okay, all of you that were alive back in the 70s, let, no, let, me, let me ask you a question. Guys, did you like that song? No. Ladies, did you have the Bread album? Okay, raise your hands, right? Every time that song came on, I, I, I could only think, um, okay, first of all, you couldn't think of something besides a food group to call yourself, and secondly, paint you. Ooh, that sounds like fun. That's all I got out of it, right? But the women, it was so romantic to them. It was so beautiful to them. It was, my wife literally had, she still has the album 
of bread singing this song because they're looking for that. They need that kind of affection. They need that kind of romance. And the problem for us, guys, is that, 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 that we need to give it to them in lower doses and slower increments. We need to give them this time when they can warm up to what's going on. They've got the busyness happening, and they don't have the thoughts that we have all the time. And what we've done is we've conditioned our wives to be suspect anytime you touch them. You're like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> Am I right? I'm seeing some nods, right? I mean, hey, you want a back rub? Okay, yeah, all right. <laughs> I want a back rub. Hey, guess what? The smartest thing you guys can do is give her a back rub and not expect anything to happen, all right? To be romantic. Send them an email during the day and tell them how much you love them. And don't expect that it's going to lead somewhere. This is how this thing works. One more. She needs you to help her clear her brain. I've talked about this book before. I love it. Men are, men are like waffles. Women are like spaghetti. And men usually have like this. The idea is men have this brain that just has these little pockets. And, and they, they only exist in one little box at a time. Women are like spaghetti, and they've just got, the, everything's running together, and they never think about one thing at a time. So we get to bed, we got one, one box, one thing on our mind, right? And they've got this spaghetti everywhere. They, they, they said, it's like, you know, it's like your computer screen with post-it notes all around the outside of it to remember things, right? Or your mirror. These guys said, the best thing that you can do is help your wife to clear those things off. Uh, in another, another study by John Gottman, very famous secular study, found that men who do more housework have better sex lives. It goes together. Why is that? Because you're pulling the post-it note off the mirror and taking one less distraction away from her, right? It's really important that you get a hold of this. The woman, when she goes to bed, she could have 50 notes all around her mental mirror up there, and you need to help them take them off the screen. It's really important. One guy wrote in, he said, I was mowing the lawn one day, and a guy said, hey, what you doing? And I said, I'm seducing my wife. <laughs> all right? I mean, ladies, am I right? Dave Stone talked about, they did this study in their uh, small group, and uh, one of the ladies said, you know what? I find my husband the most, uh, the most, the most time I'm most attracted to my husband is when he's giving my kids a bath at night. They said they came back the next week, and every, every dad was like, man, my kids were squeaky clean this week, I'm telling you. <laughs> Mom already gave me a bath. I don't care. Get in the bathtub. We're doing it again. <laughs> right? I, I, what, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is we're so dumb, guys. There are, I mean, you can't give to get. Please understand that. If they sense your motivation is to get something back, it's not going to work. But the thing that, that Shanti talked about was that husbands, that wives more than anything else, wish their husbands knew that they respected them. That's that respect thing. They just don't show it enough. And what they found out with the, with the, with the guys was that guys more than anything else wish their wives knew that they loved them. It's that love and respect thing we talk about all the time. That's what we want to have happen. It's just difficult for us to show it because we're different. But we started out naked and unashamed. And, and the beauty of a, of a long-term Christian marriage is that the longer it goes, the more you can get back to naked and unashamed. The more you can get back to security, the more you can get back to this idea that there is a God in heaven who loves us and loved me enough to give himself and his son for me, and I can do the same thing for you. May you rejoice 
in the wife of your youth, the proverb writer said. Yeah, that doesn't mean put up with. It doesn't mean I hope your marriage can make it long enough to get the kids out of the house. It means it can get better, and it will get better. Ann Landers had a letter written into her. Love it. My favorite illustration of, of marital intimacy ever. This woman wrote in about her parents. She said, my parents just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, and this morning they left on a long-awaited second honeymoon to Hawaii. She said, um, when my parents were first married, they, they, you know, they were poor. They only had enough money to go 50 miles away and spend three days together. But they made a pact back then that every time they made love, they would put a dollar aside for the honeymoon fund for Hawaii. And they would go to Hawaii on their 50th anniversary. And so every time they made love, they put a dollar. And pretty soon they got a little metal money box and they started putting the dollars in there. She said, my dad was a policeman. My mom was a school teacher. They lived on a very modest salary. They did all their own repairs. They raised five kids. Money was sometimes tight. But every time there was an emergency and my mom would say, we need to dip into the honeymoon fund, he would say, no, absolutely not. We're not going to do it. We're not dipping into the Hawaii account. We're keeping it there. And she said, I don't know how much they ended up saving, but they had it in savings. They had it in CD and they saved up enough to be able to go on this really crazy first-class 10-day trip to Hawaii and, and, and lots of spending money, and we're so excited for them. And she said, um, you know, the fun thing was, we didn't know about this growing up, but she said, sometimes my dad would come home and say, I got a dollar in my pocket. <laughs> and mom would say, well, I know how we can spend it. And... Uh, <laughs> She said, when we got married, each one of us, one of the gifts my parents gave us was a little metal money box as they shared their story with us and encouraged us in the area of intimacy in our marriage. She said it was something very, very special for us. Uh, she said, before my dad boarded the plane today, this morning, he turned to me and he winked and he said, tonight we're starting an account for Cancun. <laughs> Out of all the five weeks of stuff we've talked about, that's really what I want you to hear. That's really what I want you to understand. Young people, don't listen to the world telling you that hooking up with a bunch of different people is the way your sexuality is going to be awesome. It's going to be being united to one person, being one flesh, being naked and unashamed with one person that God gives you, and staying committed to them and making it work. That's how it's going to work. And, and then maybe someday... If you're really lucky, you'll get to be in this situation. I don't count it a burden, whatever, to have to care for her. I, I need to do everything from the moment she gets up to the moment she goes to bed. I do absolutely everything. Um, I clean her teeth, I shower, dress, everything. And, um, but it's, it's a privilege. I count it a great privilege to, to care for this one that I've loved all of these years and continue to love. This is the year when we'll celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. Our stories have been a, a lovely story. I first saw her when she was eight years old and her brother became my best friend. And we grew up together and as we grew up, yeah, she was there. And I knew that she used to stare at me when I was playing footy with, my, with her brother and uh, another friend and when we used to ride bikes and she kept staring at me, but I wasn't interested. 
I was 17, she was 16. I saw her dolled up, dressed up, and she had an A-line dress on, and boom, it was gone. I was, uh, she was the one for me then, absolutely. <laughs> first started uh, dating, I used to ride my bike from where I lived to where she was, and that was about five kilometres on a Saturday afternoon, because it was the only chance we had to get together. And uh, it was hair wash day for her, and she used a special cream in her hair for a shampoo. And I can still smell it, because that smell was so particular, so nice, it was just absolutely special. We had a bike. I used to ride everywhere on my bike, and then Glad had a bike as well, and we put a, a baby chair on the front of her bike, and so we carried our babies around on the bike with her as well. So, yeah, bike's been part of our lives, and I guess that has something to do with us now. Around about 2004, five, I began to notice um, that there were things going wrong. She was finally diagnosed with uh, the horrible disease of Alzheimer's. Having lived overseas, I knew that with a bike you can do lots of things. So I had a bike made, a bike chair made. We take it to the beach and ride along beside the beach. And as we do that, we see lots of people. A lot of people come talk to us because it's a unique thing. Nobody else has got a bike chair quite like that one. I am determined to care for her every need, every need. You see, God has loved us so unconditionally and I understand that God has put his love in my heart and because I realize how much God has loved me, that's how I too can love my lovely wife. She has done so much for me over all of these years. Now she can't, but I can and I can return her love and it's a love that, uh, well, to me, means I can do everything for her. She's my princess, I'm her William and I wouldn't have it. <laughs> Any other way. Would you have it any other way? No, no, no. no, not at all. We love each other. I'll tell you what's fun for me is listening to Tim play the violin and Maria play the piano, two kids that grew up in this church and, and think about their families and think about the fact that, you know, this, this is how it's supposed to be. And that is so way more rewarding than jumping around from one person to the next and not knowing, you know, what's going on with your family. This is the way God intended it to be. And maybe someday I'll get to be the point where I, my wife will have a, a need. I, I pray that it's not a, a bad need, but maybe there'll be a day when I can actually maybe pay back my wife like that guy with the bike chair. Maybe I can actually serve her. That's how it's designed to be. And the broken together thing is so important because I think Jerry Maguire is the dumbest romantic movie ever made. The whole you complete me thing is just ridiculous. Single people, please hear me out, okay? Ain't gonna happen. There's nobody that's gonna complete you out there. If you think someday I'm just gonna find that, you know, I'm just gonna find the right person and, and everything is gonna be great, it's not gonna happen. There is no right person. There's broken people. You find a broken person, you commit yourself to them, you make it work really hard, you raise your family together, you do the things that you can do to serve God together, and at the end of your life, you're gonna look back and go, this was way better than any other plan could have been. But not because somebody completed you. There's only one person who can complete you, and that's Jesus. Doesn't matter whether you have a, a, a partner or not. You can be complete in Jesus. He completes us. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we come to communion now, I thank you for this. Uh, I just thank you for the, 
amazing witness of that couple and, and, and the thought of that song, it's a great combo. I'm so thankful for the fact that I'm a broken person and I'm married to a broken person, but as we work on it, we become less broken together. And still, we're headed towards you, not each other. We're headed towards the top of the triangle where you are at the top. And the more we become like you, the more we can love each other. And we will only be complete in you. And Lord, if there are marriages here that need to take communion right now as a way of saying, okay, we're going to recommit ourselves to being broken together the way you want it to be, Jesus, which means everything, marriage bed and every other way, we are going to serve this other person that we've committed to and not demand our own rights. Lord, for everybody in this room, that's what we're supposed to do. That's how we are Jesus. So be with us as we do that. Maybe there are people here who don't have you. Let them know that today is a perfect day to say, Jesus, I'm broken and I need you to complete me. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. That could start right now. Be with us as we commune. In Jesus' name we pray.